Hello, and welcome to Got the Runs, the comics podcast with all the sexual chemistry of where to begin. <laughs> yes, it's a sexy comic that we're uh, <laughs> that we're talking about today. It was hard for me to keep up with who was boinking whom. <laughs> you know? Well, usually the one woman in the story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have thoughts on that as well. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the extent of them. But yes. <laughs> but you see, it's it's not sexist because it's like her womanhood is also kind of a secret weapon mm, that she mm-hmm, uses mm-hmm. to trick men. <laughs> mm-hmm, 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 so mm-hmm. she's kind of powerful as well. If you in think her about it, way. she's actually calling the shots. Yeah, women are actually the secret freaking whatever. They're doing it We're for talking- themselves. <laughs> not often, not weirdly. <laughs> <laughs> certainly not doing it to themselves in this book. <laughs> Sure, I guess no one ever masturbates in this book. Kind of a weird omission. That's not (laughs) true. Oh, no. (laughs) I I don't remember what you're talking about, but we are, of course, talking about Criminal. Um, I would maybe say his seminal non-Captain America work? Is that fair to say? That's definitely fair to say. I would not go so far as to say the work that he's best known for, because I think Captain America does still hold that crown, but certainly the best known of his creator-owned work and the book that sort of launches his creator-owned career, you might say. Right, yes. I, I've always heard this name going around, but I, it's, a, it's, a, it's tough to Google. <laughs> I don't know if it's a great name or if it's a bad well, name or if it's a really bad name. I think the trick of it is that it's so generic, which is kind of like I, I read this thing um, in one of his like forewords or afterwards to the collection that I was reading where he was talking about how he sees it as like a magazine, I think sort of in right. the vein of like, you know, one of those like pulp genre magazines where they would have like 50 pages of like short stories and then also like, you know, semi the the validity of weapons. which is questionable, like tales of like a true safe cracker or like like P.I., you know, tips and tricks and whatever from a real investigator, that kind of thing. Right. Anyway. So that's why there's like all this kind of like extras type content in this that I'm sure you came across and we can talk about. Mm -hmm. That's why it has kind of a more sort of anthology format to it. It's not like full on anthology, but it is really like the world of criminal quote unquote is really kind of like a thing. And he frequently bounces around through time and switches focus characters. Um, that, that gives it a bit more of an anthology feel. And I think that all of that is kind of in service of giving it this kind of magazine feel. And in that context, like the name criminal, it's like, Oh, of course I'm picking up my copy of criminal magazine where I read about, you know, <laughs> the, the seedy doings of the denizens of this city. Central city. It's not central city though. Cause central city is like center the other city? Or center city. Yeah. It's but, but isn't center city like the next closest to like kind of big city. I, I, I know what you mean. There are weird moments like where it's there are like, times where they're I'm in going town. to Center yeah. City now. 
and they're like center city's where we got to do the job i didn't get the sense that center city was like the main city but then i was like but what what's this city then? <laughs> well of course on wikipedia <laughs> under the section plot it says see also list of criminal story arcs and then if you click list of criminal story arcs it redirects you back to the criminal page <laughs> okay i like that and a wonderful bit of uh, wikipedia solipsism mm-hmm. we're talking about ed brubaker by the way this is our first of two episodes on criminal so we're covering the first two volumes, which are 10 and 7 issues respectively, and then Criminal The Sinners, which is a five-issue miniseries. Yeah, I I think it's cool. <laughs> like, the idea, <laughs> that, the, the magazine idea, I mm-hmm. mean, like, I think it's cool. Like, obviously, this is something he has a ton of interest in. It sort of, from what I understand, like, becomes his defining genre and area that he works in. That's for a lot for of, sure, the rest yeah. of his career. So Definitely. like it, it clearly is a crime of or <laughs> a crime of fashion, <laughs> if you will. Not a fashion project in the best way. Yeah, that is definitely true. And and it is like funny to read, like, <laughs> especially the early issues, it's like almost bloggy where he'll just kind of be like, anyways, so what are some good <laughs> comics right now? Uh, this is good. This is good. If you're reading this comic, you probably already know about that, but like, it's good. <laughs> uh, what else? Hmm. Uh, I saw this movie. That was good. <laughs> like, it's it, he. he's like kind of rambly in it in a way that like doesn't really happen in comics anymore. And it's really funny to me to read always. Right. Yeah. In, in the first issue under his plug time uh, banner, he's like, Kablam helped me get promotional material to fans and retailers by making me a limited edition ash edition ash can of the preview we made. And then it's like, and then the subsequent plugs are the walking dead is a great comic. <laughs> Powers is a great comic. Like, Casanova by Matt fraction. Like he really just like sort of goes crazy. And then, you know, Sean Phillips is always be plugging. Mm. Uh, but Ed sort of likes to use the letters pages as canvas. Yeah. This is a work by Marvel Icon, which I did not know and had not heard of. Yes. So this is like um, how to how to put it. It's not like a vanity project for him, per se. So Icon has, has had been and has been around for a long time. And the purpose of it was basically to like just keep their like superstar creators like in-house so instead right. of going to you know obviously image is the big one now but at the time there would have been other options like uh, see now i'm forgetting the names of them all eclipse would have been one dark horse has always you know been been kind of on the scene since sort of like the late 80s i want to say anyways you know any right. any of the independent like smaller press publishers the idea was like you don't need to like go to them to do it why don't you just like stay with us we'll put you on the icon imprint and and make it happen so i'm pretty sure that they launched this for bendis Bendis, but it was like a take on a previously existing imprint which they had used to publish grew the wanderer not sure if you're familiar with that one i feel like that's come up before but no so Grew the Wanderer is a uh, like very long-running independent comic by Sergio Argonis. 
which is like about this kind of like Conan parody character who wanders as as the name implies. And it has been like published all over the place. But the main or not the main, but one of the longest imprints or lines that it stayed with was a Marvel imprint epic. That's what it was called, which is now confusing because they yeah, yeah, freaking epic. I see. they now have like epic collections is like a whole line that they do of trade paperbacks but it has nothing to do with the epic imprint but so like elf quest was an epic book have you ever heard of elf quest i'm i'm name dropping it because it's like a another book talking about things what's the other what's the thing with the pig looking thing oh cerebus by Dave Sim. Yeah. <laughs> I was just re- you you it's on your shelf. Sure is. Yeah, several <laughs> several volumes. I have um there it's on my shelf. I need to get to it still. Cerebus is like a funny book <laughs> like all comics, the freaking funny books am I right? <laughs> so true. Like freaking Frank Kafka. <laughs> yeah, okay. We'll talk about Frank Kafka. Don't get <laughs> don't you worry. We'll talk about Frank Kafka. <laughs> but the early stuff is like very revered still and is like it was so good it was so groundbreaking and then in the uh criminal back pages style tradition dave sim increasingly (laughs) was just kind of like going off both in the like book itself and i think also in like essays that would be published in the back and then he did a whole issue that was basically like an essay it was it was like a prose essay in which my recollection is he advanced some controversial opinions about women and women's rights and uh and then you know people got got less into service kind of thereafter and it now has a somewhat mixed uh legacy because a lot of it is held as really creative and really um, compelling and really good. And as a like early independent comic that kind of like paved the way for creator owned comics in a lot of ways and was like an early sort of like hit for an underground type comic going mainstream. It's like very significant. And then also for like the very public flaming out of the creator, it's also very significant. Right. I was I was reading about this the other week just because I just came across it somewhere and was like, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read this interview uh, that Dave Sim did like via fax mm-hmm. <laughs> with the AV Club in like 2004, which I guess is when he completed uh, Cerebus. And he just sounds insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's fair. That's all. <laughs> just you talking about the Conan parody made me think of. Uh, well, and this is not the last time I shudder to tell you that we will be talking in the criminal series about Conan parodies. Um, mm. Prepare yourself for savage oh. sort of criminal, <laughs> a real thing. <laughs> oh, I thought <laughs> I thought you were making a funny joke about how there was going to be a talk show host in a later no a later no issue. no. no. Savage wow. sort of criminal. I have not read that issue yet. So, I, you know, TBD. Also, a funny thing about Dave Sim is that he's from Hamilton. Wow. Yeah. Shout out. Uh, yeah. Talk about not throwing away your freaking shot. 
but sure, anyways, yeah. to get <laughs> to get back totally. to the criminal of it all. So yeah, it was it was a like Marvel thing that it it kind of speaks to his status at Marvel that he has an icon book. I'm sure they made it uh you know a kind of as sweet a deal as they could and and um made it as easy as possible for their their star creators to be able to put their books out through that imprint um but they did eventually shut that down and most of that stuff moved over to image right because it is it is really like 90 percent bendis and mark millar <laughs> yeah and then so i think like the big like downfall i guess you might say well now see now i'm questioning myself i'll have to i'll have to brush up on the history of this because i don't want to talk too much about um brew baker and phillips's extremely unique uh exclusive image deal which uh, this stuff all happens <laughs> before they signed that but that is like one of the crazier things about like any <laughs> any given <laughs> comics creator's career um just it, like it in a very like nitty gritty industry type way, like to have a creative team sign an exclusive like contract with an independent creator owned publisher is like crazy. But we'll talk more about that later because I don't think that that was the like death knell for icon. When I think about it, Mark Millar or Mark Miller is technically uh, properly pronounced, I believe, but what like, formed his own sort of like it wasn't an imprint but like he Millardi. called it he no he called it miller world <laughs> um and like that sucks published this magazine for a while that was called clint um and and it was this whole like this was like kind of around the same time that he got like a netflix first look deal mm. So, so overall, yeah, he kind of like franchised himself. And then I think at that around that time started doing his stuff more so through image. And at that point, it was really like he was full time, all creator owned stuff. And so to like pull the plug on icon for him being like the, the only guy who would put out like three books a year through icon is kind of like, well, are we keeping this alive now so that you know, once every like four years, Bendis can do like a four issue miniseries. <laughs> well, then also, I think the end of Icon is when Bendis goes to DC, right? That's what Wikipedia says at the very oh, least. Oh, yeah, I'd buy it. Yeah, for sure. Because they also gave him his own imprint for publishing his own like creator owned stuff, um, which may or may not still be funked. The other day, <laughs> total aside, but uh-huh. the other day, someone I was talking to in a group chat said, anyone ink any overall deals lately that's <laughs> one of the funnier things that anyone has ever said but yeah so he ends up you know i guess we'll talk more about uh incognito yes well, shift hold down, on am I right fellas? let me let me close uh, the loop here on sure. jinx world which is that it moved from dc to dark horse and then i think also is now just his Substack. Possibly sure. with like a publishing deal through Dark Horse for like the physical copies. Man, right. have, have we talked about the the Substack stuff? <laughs> yeah, extensively at length. You're weird. <laughs> you have like a real axe to grind. With I don't Substack, have an axe to like. grind. It's just like I I think it's great. <laughs> I think it's great 
for like I the creators. Awesome. I do. I do. It's I think sweet. it's, I think that like for pretty much every creator who was involved, it was like life and career changing, which I think is incredible. So I just haven't, I haven't read anything like nothing. I haven't read a single thing that has been published, at least to my knowledge as a like Substack first. And I have not heard anything about any Substack comics. I've never seen a collected edition on the shelf. I'm just kind of like, what's ha- like, what's happening and what's going to happen when the deals end? Like I have, I have no sense of whether or not the creators feel like it's been successful for them beyond like getting a hundred thousand dollars for free, basically. Right. So, so the idea of the Substack deal is just that like, we'll pay you to publish on Substack. Yeah, basically it was like, uh, we, yeah, we'll, we'll give you like a, a signing deal basically to launch like some Substack, like, it's not even Substack exclusive. Like we'll pay you to to launch some Substack first comics. You retain the publishing rights. You retain all of the like royalties and profits for physical copies. The like revenue sharing for even that. I think there was something like some crazy part of it where it was like you keep like a hundred percent of subscriber revenue for the first year. Yeah. And then it reverts to ninety percent afterward. Yeah, like the standard, the standard Substack deal, basically. So it was like, why would you ever say no to that? (laughs) I just, again, I I have no sense of how many creators, if any, are going to continue like spending time and energy on Substack stuff once that's over, versus just like going back to Image, where it feels like they get a lot more publicity, a lot more attention. I have no idea what the profit margins are like for an image book versus like a Substack. I'm sure that depends very much on who you are and how many subscribers you have, but like it's just it's just a weird thing that I have so many questions about and nobody seems to know the answers. Right, because just like no one's really paying attention basically. Well, I don't I don't know if nobody's paying attention, but like in terms of like, I guess the like fan discussions, nobody seems to really be talking about it. I don't really ever see articles that are like reviews of Substack material. Right. You know what I mean? And it could well be that like that's because they all have like 1500 subscribers and the like the profit from that is so big that like they basically don't need to really like <laughs> push it any any more than that and maybe those 1500 people know all about it but yeah i just have no sense of what the numbers are like outside of that crazy original deal which like again massive props to anyone who secured that deal <laughs> right it does really feel like a it's like, like a grant it's basically bubble. like a grant <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean cheers to them i suppose but this Criminal. Yes, criminal. Criminal. Good. A very, (laughs) definitely good. A very strange release pattern. I don't know. Is it literally just that, like, they like telling the stories as, like, separate volumes, basically? So, I I believe that, uh, you know, obviously it launched as an ongoing for volume one. And there's a couple of stories that are, like, fully in volume one. And that came out kind of, like through 2006 2007 then they took a break i'm assuming because of like scheduling and when they came back they were like let's just do like a new number one whole new launch did 
volume two. And then Brubaker was like, basically Brubaker was like the freaking uh, bad night was like so crazy and difficult for me that I need like a break from criminal. So let's like put criminal on the shelf for a while. We'll do incognito. I'll continue doing all my other like extremely successful projects. And so when they came back again, I think he was probably like, it seems like an ongoing is not the format that we're going to do for this. So let's like go. I think of this as kind of like the Hellboy style where there was never really like an, a Hellboy ongoing. It would just come out as like three to five part miniseries or one shots. And then there would be like up trades. to like a few yeah trades of trades of those. And then up to like a few years before the announcement of another miniseries. So I think basically once it became clear that they weren't going to be working on this on a monthly basis long term, they were like, let's just do miniseries because it makes more sense. Sure. Which is funny because like the miniseries are also not like, I guess from this point on, like from when they start sort of naming the, like from the sinners onward, Mm -hmm. they start becoming like specific stories in every miniseries. Well, Yes, they do. But then it also becomes a weird thing where when they launch volume three, like much later, like six, seven years after um, right. the like the the last. So the last of the innocent is the last of like the miniseries. And then they did a couple like one shots in between launching volume three. But then with volume three, it did feel like they came back and were like, we're going to give like ongoing another shot. And it lasted like a year. Sure. So, yeah, so it's it's a really interesting format in the sense that it's like it is an anthology, but it's also kind of like there's like it's like like the world of criminal. It's like a shared universe. True. Yeah, it is just like the main character is the universe, I guess. And like like, not like the main character is like the undertow bar, (laughs) not even like center city per se. It's like, right. Yeah. Yeah, I I guess like Tracy Lawless is maybe the most frequently recurring like sure. major character. I mean, Gnarly is really the the most reoccurring character, I would say. But right. I think Tracy is the one that he comes back to the most times in terms of kind of like the whole life story and using him as like the perspective character. But right. yeah, I wouldn't say that there is really a main character per se. Right. And it's like, so how, when he was making this, Mm -hmm. like when they started it, how much like was this a plan and how much did this just like happen? I mean, yeah, I think that there was a plan to jump around a bit because they set up the, like the world of criminal quite early. Like they right. start talking about like our parents' generation and stuff like that. And like, we haven't even really gotten to any of the stories that involve the parents' generation beyond there's like a single issue maybe or two issues about Teague Lawless. But like the rest of the parent generation, we haven't really seen any of at this point. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just like it's really interesting to me, like the ways that he causes everything to intersect in mm-hmm. that way and like in ways that make sense and but also like it's like somewhere between it being like a cohesive storyline and it being like cameos kind of because mm-hmm. it is like 
the actions of different characters do kind of have this ripple effect. And mm-hmm. based on, you know, the end, obviously the ending of the sinners, I'm <laughs> anticipating that there will continue to be like ripple effects based on the things that happen in that book. But it's <laughs> you're making a face. Um, <laughs> but it is very interesting, just like the way he interweaves things so successfully. And like, I just I don't know how like maybe it is just like a your mind thing. But I don't know how he does that. <laughs> yeah, it's like I, I can't really even come up with a comparison per se, because I feel like this is this is like a crazy pull that I have not probably even read enough of it to like make this comparison. But the only thing I can really come up with is um, the like I&M Banks culture novels. Have you read any of these? It's like a so it's like a, a sci-fi oh, it's, series it's like that's like post scarcity. Um, there is there is one that has something about games in the title for sure. Um, <laughs> or like I guess wild cards potentially would also be one where it's like that is an anthology series, but the focus of it moves around so much. It moves through the timeline so much. There's not really a main character, even though there's several major characters and even like like the city is not the like main focus per se or even like the world. It's like like a social group, right. <laughs> like the connective, the connective thread of criminal is basically just like this loose network of the titular criminals Right. But what's interesting is that, like, compared to something like I assume what culture is like or like even the Star Wars universe, I feel like mm-hmm. you could sort of think of it in that way is like it's so small and like, yeah. and so like condensed into one area so that it's like things can happen like like the actions of a character can affect a completely different character that doesn't know the original character. But, like, no one is ever more than, like, three social links away. Like, everyone knows someone who knows the main character of any given story. Right. Like, I'm sure if you made a relationship web, it would, like, become (laughs) extremely entangled very quickly. (laughs) Um, Just, like, like just the idea of, like, what what is it? It's not Bad Night, not Rough Night, Sarah Scarlett Johansson. Uh, But just, like, the idea to use that character... Right. When like he introduces, yeah, when he introduces Jake, does he know? And also, like, because when we first see Jake, we don't even know that he also writes Frank Kafka, no, right? I don't, yeah, I, I meant to go and look back, but I had like left the book in another room, but I was like, this is the first we're learning that he's the guy who does Frank Kafka, surely. Like, I, I don't have any memory of any like reference to this previously we might first time we're learning he was a counterfeiter no because tracy goes to him to counterfeit um like an id for him like he's the one who helps him create the like sam west identity right um so we did know that and i think we like we saw some frank kafka strips that might have had like a jake k signature on them but no indication of like that's this guy who you, who you've met. Um, yeah, I did. I did have a similar like, wait, <laughs> and I've read these before. I was like, oh, this guy does Frank Kafka. <laughs> right. And also like, 
you know, like he is visibly like has walking difficulties when we first see him. Mm -hmm. And then like we get the backstory on that and it like has its own like whole thing to it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it is one of those like it's it's one of the questions I often have about like kind of world building generally where like. I've been rereading the like Song of Ice and Fire books recently and often I'm like I wonder if he like was planning I wonder how much of this was planned basically like when he started or even like a couple of books ago because there will be things like I mean you know there's there's some certain major plot points that readers have had puzzled out for like 20 years at this point that it's like obviously he was planning that from like the very beginning but then there will be other things where I'm like, I thought that was a running thread through all of these that don't crop up until like the third or fourth book where I'm like, oh, I wonder if he had like always planned to do that from the beginning or if this just kind of like came, you know, in the in the course of the writing, which a lot of it seems to have come in the course of the writing, which is why it's taking him so long to <laughs> to write the subsequent books. But I guess that probably is why it is so hard for him. Yeah, I mean, we, boy, save it, save it for the Patreon, I'm sure. But I do think that basically, are you reading these in anticipation of the the imminent sixth book? (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, I do. I do think that a big part of it is that he has like written himself into a corner, not in terms of like, how do I resolve this plot point? But more so in terms of like, I now have like 80 point of view characters and I am like, I have stories I want to tell about all of them, but I need to like finish this stupid book. (laughs) That's like (laughs) supposed to be about one main thing that everyone already knows what it is because of the TV show. And like, even before the TV show, a lot of it had been like kind of figured out because it's been so long. (laughs) Right. So yeah, criminal, uh, uh, an epic on the scale of game of Thrones, but I mean, it is kind of his game of Thrones. It is. It's sweeping for sure. Yeah. A thing that I find as well very interesting about the like changes of like point of view is that even though he's working very much within sort of like one genre, you get a taste of kind of like so many different, I guess, kind of like corners of it where like, you know, Coward has a variation on, um, my my number one favorite like heist trope the like we we accidentally stole not what we thought we were stealing and is kind right. of like a, a like not straightforward per se but like a pretty classic kind of like heist thriller yeah but then while i was reading it, i was like this is really interesting because by like issue three it's like the heist part is basically over and there's not that much action for the mm-hmm. rest of for the rest of the thing. Yeah, well, it's like, I think, I think again, what he does here that works, I think, so well in a way that, like, for example, the private eye didn't really work for you or, or like, kind of, like, flagged the noir stuff in the wrong way and is similar to stuff that we talked about in Daredevil is that, like, he knows which parts are familiar and, and which are going to, like, if he overplays them or spends too much time on them, are going to feel played out or cheesy or overly familiar. And so instead he focuses on the things that are not familiar, which is going to be like the characters themselves and the relationships between the characters. And so each of them is also sort of a character study of 
you know, either either this like point of view character who we're meeting for the first time or this character who has been kind of like in the background and is now going to come center stage. It's they're they're very much like kind of like human and emotional stories, ultimately, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the again, reading from Wikipedia, but it the, the Wikipedia is like it's a meditation on the cliches of the crime genre. And I was like, that's a good way to put I it kind of guess that's true but it is also like i don't think it is trying to like you know it's certainly not a satire or anything no but, like, but it but it is like even I, I i do also wonder like how much of that might come from things that he said sort of like early on because coward to me does feel sort of like deconstructive of the like you know this he's he's like almost like the anti Parker if that makes sense where it's like, I, okay. but he's but he's not the uh, anti Parker. He's 30, like about thirty four minutes. Yeah, in we'll is well, I've got a lot to say about the structure of uh, Bad Night when being we first a, evoked Parker being a, a Parker take as well. But like, I do think that what about the stories where the main character is Parker? You know how to take on those? what tra the Tracy Lawless ones. <laughs> yeah. I actually, um, I guess he is Parkery. He gives me, I guess it's the military thing, but I'm more like, oh, he's like a Reacher. He's like a real Reacher type to me. But then, like, isn't the guy who's hunting him Reacher more? The guy, um, the guy who's hunting him is like also Reacher adjacent. But I think that he's more Reacher because some of the stuff that he does, like Parker, Parker wouldn't care about that stuff like Parker Parker wouldn't care to like go I mean I guess it, it that ultimately proves to be functional but when he sees like a, a guy like cutting up a sex worker Parker's not like I should intervene Jack sure. Reacher is like I should intervene and also like I see in this an opportunity to sort of like advance my own purposes but I just feel like Parker would be like there's an easier way to like get the attention of the people I'm trying to get the attention of like I mean, I think that that is also just like what is so impressive about Parker in a lot of ways <laughs> is that like he is just literally like, doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, it's like Ed Brubaker, as I imagine, like 95 percent of people like cannot bring himself to write a character who can like see these terrible things happening and like not intervene or like not care or whatever. Yeah. Whereas Parker like really doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I think the whole conflict of the sinners is like Sebastian Hyde is like, I need a Parker and, and Tracy Lawless is basically like, well, I'm not a Parker. So yeah, like, he's like, I have Parker skills, but not Parker temperament. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so I think that like that, that picture of like the badass heister who's like, you know, got that like imposing intimidating presence he's like always you know he doesn't even need to fight because his like reputation precedes him blah 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 you then have uh leo who is like the master heister and everyone knows he's like the master thief but his reputation is like why would like it, it might not even be worth it with this guy because he's like such a coward is the titular coward that right. like like he, he you don't get no respect at all uh, <laughs> huh. i see you liked it is that an original character yeah i <laughs> i can't think of a good name for him right now but i'm sure it will come to me and i'll probably text it to you later rod dangerous <laughs> danny rogefield something like that um anyways 
yeah, I, I do think that he's Dodney like Dodney Ranger. <laughs> Uh, what a hideous noise I just made that I'll have to cut out. <laughs> I do think that he is supposed to be kind of like a deconstruction of the, or not, not even a deconstruction, but like a, I know like what a pump mean. fake of the, like the badass heister where it's like, he, he's like almost contemptible in some ways. Like the first thing you see him do is like leave his friend for dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I guess like yeah, that is a, in a way I guess I a deconstruction of the genre in some respects because I think kind of one of the central ideas of that arc is like the guy who lives through this is the guy who like runs away at every opportunity. Like there is no guy who just like is amazing at being a thief and like super tough, but then also like survives and doesn't right. go to jail. And and like that whole story is kind of about his like descent into the whole mindset that he has like spent his whole life kind of trying to avoid and like becoming the guy that he never wanted to be who makes a bad decision for like emotional reasons. Right. It's good. One thing that I think we'll again probably talk more about because it's more relevant to a future story, but I read an interview with Brubaker in which he revealed a thing that I did not know, which is that like when he was a kid, he and a friend were arrested for involvement in like what he describes as a pretty serious crime. Um, And and he talks about how like he got off basically and his friend didn't. And he was talking about it at that point more he was either talking about the scene of the crime or one of his other like very early dark horse things being sort of like a meditation on that life experience, but it's like like low life is the name. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. So this is also very interestingly, like I don't think to the extent that like some of the families in, in criminal are, are kind of like caught up in the underworld, but there is like a bit of like a lived experience slash like autobiographical element in this of like he he does talk at times about like his history with substance use, his history as a like criminal to greater and lesser extents, his like association with friends and acquaintances from when he was younger who were like, you know, wrapped up in this kind of thing or or more serious types of things. So I always thought that was very interesting, but of course he was not uh, not in it through family because his father was too busy being <laughs> a naval officer at Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> I'm sure I've read that before, but I did just come across it again. It's like he spent much of his childhood in Guantanamo <laughs> Bay. Yeah, being questioned. Like, uh, in like the 70s and yeah. 80s, I assume. It is, it is was, like crazy oh, to read, though. A little different then, I hope. Man, maybe I'm being a little idealistic there. <laughs> I can't imagine how much mileage he must have gotten in like 2002 to like 2007 of like Guantanamo Bay <laughs> being coming up and being like, yeah, I spent a little time there. <laughs> the Willem Dafoe character in the card counter mm-hmm. was based on me. Have seen that? No. Sounds good, though. Okay. It's uh, Paul Schrader. Mm, the band leader from Letterman? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so I stupid. I do find his, like, family background interesting that he has, like, a naval intelligence officer as a father. And he also mentioned that his uncle was, like, a CIA agent, um, which uh, 
sad that that Tom King came along and really bit his style as far as that uh, whole connection. But sure, it's like that's more the kind of thing that I always expected for Greg Rucka, who is like so into the espionage stuff, whereas like I don't really I mean, there's like the people talk about the sort of espionage element of Captain America, but like the rest of his books, that's not really like a thing for him as much, um, right. which I've always found very interesting like, that like I see espionage and crime as pretty like adjacent genres. I think they have a lot right. of the same sort of like, you know, tropes and archetypes and and that kind of thing. But I don't know. That's that's always been interesting to me. Yeah, for sure. And I think very explicitly in one of the like letters, columns or whatever postscripts of criminal, he does like specifically say when he's talking about Tracy Lawless that he's like, I wanted like he was like, I wanted to make my Parker, but then I incorporated like my own like stuff I knew from, it, which is like the the military brat element of it right. where it's like instead of being a guy or like just a guy, he's like a soldier. Yeah. It's funny. I really see Tracy Lawless as like, I get, I get the Parker thing, but to me, he's so like a proto reckless thing where like, we'll which we'll get to later on. But to me, it feels like he's like trying to shape out how he can have like, like he's interested in the Parker character and, and you know, all the stuff that we've talked about vis-a-vis Parker before, but he is in that boat of like, I just like it doesn't really seem like he wants to write these stories about like this bad guy being so bad. <laughs> um, like he right. does want that more kind of like heroic element and reckless is very much more so in the kind of like full on anti-hero vein, but it does feel to me like all of the like Tracy lawless stuff is sort of like him starting to like kind of grope towards that. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we can, talk a bit about the stories individually um i want to talk about sean phillips for a while and the history of their partnership as well at some point but heck i mean where to begin yeah i mean like it is really like what like six or seven probably yeah it was it was like contained or there's more in it than i thought and like they're they're all so different in a way that like i also didn't really remember yeah, it's 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 where, where to begin. I mean, we talked a bit about Coward. I feel like of them, Coward is kind of the most straightforward. Right. Yeah, I, I, I do think that I'm st- I'm sticking with it, <laughs> um, even though it has that kind of like deconstruction slash subversion sort of element that we talked about. Like it is at the end of the day, ultimately, like a fairly stock and trade ish yeah. heist Lawless story. Lawless might be more... Yeah, More you know what? That that actually might be true cuz that does have like kind of like cloak and dagger stuff of him like he's he he's like not who they think he is. Yeah, all of the Tracy Lawless like or but I guess I should say both of the Tracy Lawless stories, but they to me are the ones that feel like a little out of place in the like criminal oeuvre, if you will, even oh, really? though he's like kind of the main character. Not not in that I'm like these don't fit or these don't track, but they just have a bit more of a like so like the sinners particularly feels to me like a mashup of like he wanted to do a PI story, but he doesn't have a PI character in this world. So he kind of has to like manufacture a 
like putting putting his one character who gets closest to it into like a pi type situation yeah he's like my biggest problem is i can't stop privately investing (laughs) and then i feel like the plot of that to me like it feels like it was developed out of the like rough kind of like sketches of a gotham central story if that makes sense like the vigilante kind of like aspect to it sure is and and like the whole i guess kind of like mystery of it as well takes it like a little bit further away from the like full-on like pulp noir crime stories that had more so characterized it up to that point and a bit more towards like the superhero influences showing a little bit there's like a bit of straining the genre with the desire to do the pi stuff all all that kind of you know stuff which we can talk about in a bit more detail when we get to that one but in lawless as well i was like i guess similarly i was like this is like an undercover cop story like he need if he, it's it's like i think what you actually wanted is that he needs to be like an fbi agent or something like it doesn't it's it just like doesn't quite clock as like he's a an army deserter who's coming in to like basically <laughs> be an undercover cop do you know what like i think it, it, when I think about like what he was going for with the character, the background well, he is, is like, like black ops kind of. Well, yeah, kind of like he's implicitly. like unspecified black ops. Yeah, like the the background of the character makes perfect sense when I think about like how I think he came to it, which was sort of conceptualizing the character before writing the stories. But when I look at how he's put like into use, I'm like, this guy needs to be more like institutional. Like he needs to be an actual like agent of the state in some capacity because or or like you know somehow like on the side of the law and and maybe like going overstepping his mandate or taking the law into his own hands or whatever for like personal reasons and like you know that's where the corruption comes from but it feels some of the situations just feel kind of like contrived to put him into place where I'm like the easiest thing would have just been if he had a boss who told him that he has to do this (laughs) or like you know this is his well, case but that's the thing is like he does have a boss that well for the for things. the sinners he does yeah but yeah Which i i that's kind of what i like about it is that like i get what you mean because he does feel like that character so much but then i also think like what's kind of interesting about it or like where a lot of the dramatic tension comes from is that like he is he is both like the PI who is sort of stumbling blindly into like these things that he doesn't know about, but then also like he has the, the training or the ability mm-hmm. or like the, 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 the ability to sort of like to overstep, I guess, right. what, like a, a an officer of the law would do. Right. Yeah. And to be a little more like ruthless or like unorthodox in his methods. Yes. I will say, like, to to clarify, The Sinners is my favorite of the stories that we covered. Mm. I just, yeah, I just do think that, like, in some ways it's more compelling when he oversteps if he is some kind of, like, legitimate authority who, because of, like, you know, his his emotional investment in whatever's going on or his, like, vendetta against the people involved is like driven to overstep those boundaries, but maybe that's a little too, uh, you know, a little too stock. Yeah. And it's, you know, if we're talking about it being a deconstruction, it's almost like the opposite of that where it's like, he is breaking good. And it's like, right. You know, because it's like, 
it's like the boss can't find out that I'm actually like trying to do a good thing here. And then it's like, you know, instead of it being like the guy where it's like he thinks that I've gone bad, it's like he thinks I am bad and he doesn't know that I've gone good. <laughs> yeah. But like, even as I'm thinking about that more, it's like almost like pre written to have him be an authority figure where like the whole reason that he's in jail when we first meet him is that he has like meted out justice to like these three fellow soldiers for. Uh, an artfully sure. unspecified crime, Imo. But to me, that that feels like it should the the start of that story, which should be like you really stepped in it this time, Lawless. Like the boss isn't going to be able to look the other way on this one. He's like sending you to Center City to like keep your head down for a while while he like sorts this out with the brass. Good luck getting anything done in that hellhole. Like, you know what I mean? That it, it feels so kind of like natural to me in that way. But again, that I'm always like, well, if I thought of it, maybe that means it's stupid <laughs> or like <laughs> <Sure>. too obvious. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, isn't it kind of more contrived to be like this guy who is like a federal agent or a cop or whatever is like ingratiating himself with the underworld so thoroughly and successfully. And obviously like, you know, we see the whole thing of him having the false identity and everything, but like, you know, the whole point I think is that the sinners is building on the stuff that we've already seen from him in lawless, which I think like, and you kind of have to go that route. Like, I mean, I guess you're kind of getting to the same place anyways, if he's like sort of going undercover in the gang, but then he still like secretly wants the revenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it. I mean, there is a certain element of like, obviously, no cop or like federal agent or whatever would ever be assigned to go undercover with the gang suspected of murdering his brother. <laughs> Right. So, you know, that that does well, it could be like they don't know because well, yeah, that would have to be what it was. But I don't know. I just, just really, already be Sam West. Yeah, I just really like the well, well, what I mean is like, oh, like you mean he's like in the in the view of like Uncle Sam, he's Sam West. Right. Like he Dick Whitman or something. Right. Is that a Mad Men reference? Yeah. Got it. Anyways, uh, <laughs> good good stuff all around i i did just like yeah there were just a few times where i'm like you kind of have to like take a walk to make it make sense why this guy is here and i feel like there's a, a more expedient way to like get him there i feel like the main confusing thing is like why does sebastian hyde tolerate this <laughs> is like my main question <laughs> with the sitters like tolerate him doing his like investigation or saying no to killing people yes and it's like I there is like a bit of like it's kind of thrown away it's like you've done like some really good things because he's Parker and mm -hmm. like is the best at what he does but it's like this guy who like you can't really trust and like disobeys orders and like will not kill the people you want him to kill mm -hmm. like how is that useful to you yeah I think that the like I guess this maybe doesn't totally match up with what we see of his like interactions but I think the idea there is that he's like on a low enough rung that he's not actually handling anything like so important that it matters that much and in the cases where he doesn't kill the people he still like makes the problem go away I guess I feel like it's like the opposite where it's like that's what it you know, or maybe that's just like what the default story would be, but it, it is, it does feel like it's like you're too valuable 
to replace is basically it's like that's why i haven't killed you yet yeah there is that element in it as well so but but maybe it's like a frustration of like you're too valuable to like throw away but because you're being like such a pain about this basically like i can't trust you with the kind of things that i actually want to have you doing right has that back scratch it's going great thank you but yes coward colin coward Mm -hmm. um that's not a Colin Kaepernick reference. It's not. <laughs> There's a sports cast or a, you know, like a. Yeah. Colin Cowherd. A, yeah. Wasn't that the joke? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were saying not that's Col- not the joke. I wasn't. <laughs> I said it wasn't a Colin Kaepernick reference because oh. I've never heard anyone say this, but you can imagine Donald Trump calling. Oh, okay, <laughs> Colin, Colin Kaepernick. Coward. Colin Coward. <laughs> Cowardly Colin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I miss him, don't you? Uh, Colin, yeah. Sure. I mean, a black bolt, but you know, you know. Truly. So, coward. Leo Patterson suckered into a a job that goes bad. He ends up. Yes, you're paying tribute to him today with your soul patch. Sorry? You're paying tribute to him today with your soul patch. I wish I could grow uh, <laughs> the amount on my chin that uh, Leo Patterson is sporting. But sure, the, let's... The one, the first issue where she like puts on the biker's outfit is so crazy. Oh yeah, I love, I love when he peels off the painter suit to reveal his <laughs> biker costume and then pulls up as if to be like, what's going on? <laughs> As if to say, like, they will never suspect the guy that's dressed this insanely. <laughs> <laughs> the flipped I, up brim on the hat. I did get, like, a huge Inside Man vibe from that whole scene, probably because they're wearing painter suits and, like, the design of, like, the bank when he gets outside. But, yeah, big, big Inside Man uh, tone for that whole section. But, so, he... He the job goes bad. He's not stealing. He he thinks he's been hired to steal five million dollars in diamonds from a police evidence van, and quickly discovers discovers that it's in fact thirty two kilos of pure uncut heroin. He and one of his former partners, deceased partner's wife, uh, are able to get away with the goods, and he tries to figure out how he can go about returning it safely, all the while being hunted by fellow criminals and corrupt cops who want to get uh, this stuff back. Uh, they eventually find Greta, his uh, his partner in this crime, and kill her, which drives him uh, to seek revenge on them, and he does make good his revenge, killing all of the people who he holds responsible for her death. But at the cost of his freedom, he is shot and put away. Weirdly, a similar plotline to the film 21 Bridges with Chadwick Boseman, RIP. I'll take your word for it. (laughs) Of course, famously initially announced as 17 Bridges. Uh, (laughs) Did not know that. That's really funny. Some more bridges to change the title, um, but yes, that movie is also about like criminals who, like, they're told. I think it's like they're told that it's they're told they're stealing thirty kilos of coke, but then it's three hundred. Mm, love that. And then it turns out that like the cops are involved, and there's a whole conspiracy. Spoilers for Twenty One Bridges. Mm. I guess. Sorry. 
But yeah, so weirdly similar plotline yeah. that I just sort of realized. The, um, anyways. The use of the drugs in this story is flawless because like having it be the bait and switch where they realize that it's actually drugs that they've stolen and not diamonds. Like I've already talked about how I love that whole thing. And then when Leo is like looking for his heroin kit and finds like the pure stuff, I out loud was like, Oh no. Again, I've read these books before, (laughs) right? but I was just like, Oh no. And then like, Again, like the whole section where Her he left. Yeah, when he leaves and forgets to clean up the like the last brick again, I, I, when she sees it, I was like, oh, no, <laughs> like it's used so well to be a like source of that, like narrative tension so many times that I just like couldn't believe it every single time that it was like, again, a problem that they had the drugs. I was like, he's just so good. <laughs> Yeah, and that's interesting because it's like you would you would see those little things anyways in any like sort of criminal story mm-hmm. because like obviously the overriding or one of the main overriding like narrative tensions is going to be greed. But then it's like not only is this greed over the money, it's also like physically <laughs> like I'm like being tempted by these things. Yeah. Like so that even if I don't want to, or even if it's like not in my best interest to go after this, like Yeah, or or just like the missing information where like like Ivan has his own heroin, he just can't find it, and he doesn't realize that the stuff that he's using is going to be so much stronger than like his normal stuff. Right. Yeah, it's all it's all very good. <sighs> now the villains of this story <laughs> Seymour <sighs> and what's his name? No, Seymour. I like Seymour. I actually like Seymour <laughs> quite a bit. I'm not wild about Delron. I'm not sure what his <laughs> whole thing is. Like, if he, I don't know, he. So the character that he most reminds me of is. Um, you've sent me an image, which I'm going to scroll down here to look at. <laughs> It's, of course, a picture of Delron <laughs> with the, a demented grin. Yes, that is undeniably true. Um, but the, so there's a character in Sandman, the serial convention. You're familiar with this, I presume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Adnan Syed. <sighs> I let that pass. He's free. He's free, <laughs> yeah. So there's like the whole there's like the whole serial convention and they all have their like serial killer sobriquets. And one of them is called like funland or something to that effect and his thing is like that he kills kids and there's like a sexual element as well and he looks so much like delron that i just assume that it like <laughs> i'm like so delron and must have like, like a the whole book also kind of that's true that's well. true the book the book does make some implications about delron as well so like he, you know he's a whole thing he is like one of the characters who is like the least redeemable where it's like he is just like an actively evil guy who <laughs> a like demon never really who has, has been like, like summoned to be killed <laughs> yes who never really has like a story about him or like uh which i feel like is like i don't know people sometimes like that character and i guess like i just rewatched no country for old men mm-hmm. well he's not comparable to anton Chigurh, i wouldn't say if that's where <laughs> no but but that but that ca- that character archetype of the guy who like 
I guess he's more like a don't care than a guy who is like sort of more demonic and like enjoys what he mm-hmm. does. But I feel like people tend to like Anton Shakur is Parker. In- <laughs> like if you want like a Parker type, he he. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it, but when I like, he's got more of the sort of like force of nature thing where he's not like, hey, I love, I'm going to hold my hat like this. He's like, I'm going to get that money back, like no matter what it takes. But then, but then it's like there, you have the scene in like the gas, the gas station where it's like, why oh, does where he like, like he kills that guy this. for no like, reason? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he doesn't kill that guy, but like, it's the same. No, he kills an. <laughs> I don't want to recap the movie, but he kills he kills a guy for his car, and then later he gets to the gas station, and that's when there's the coin flip, and he he wins the coin flip and lives. Right. I guess that is a certain like this guy's a psycho type thing. Yeah, and like and then later at the end of the movie, not to spoil, but like there's a whole scene about where he's like call the coin, and she's like. No, like this, it's just like it's you doing it. Like it's not the coin. It's not nature. You are like choosing to do this. Mm-hmm. And I feel like people are, you know, that's obvi- like one of the best examples of that kind of character as like someone who doesn't have super clear motivation, who doesn't seem to like have anything going for him beyond just being like you said, like kind of a force of nature or like just like a purely evil kind of character. In this book, he's weirdly like one of the least interesting characters mm-hmm. because like there is like nothing to him ultimately. Yeah. Now, there's also a crime boss named Roy, but as he's Royale. quick to let you know, nobody calls him Roy anymore. He now goes by Roy LT, also known as Roy L. <sighs> I just can't accept that any adult would be like. <laughs> Actually, I now go by Royal T. I guess I was thinking a lot about what you said in the other episode. The <laughs> other week. I was written by someone who thinks the wire is really <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. Roy, I'm I'm pleased to say that that's like not really a thing with pretty much any other black character who comes onto the scene, even in the story where like most of the main characters are black. But Roy LT really does check that box here in the in the early issues. Yeah, I guess it's more in like the way that characters talk sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like people say like, stuff white, like nobody like be writers, calling that me that anymore. Yeah, like white writers really like feel the need to lean into like every black character has to like have a very distinct voice, which is like which comes across in their dialogue, mm-hmm. and then like all mostly white characters like just sound the same in most respects. Mm-hmm. It's, it's strange. It's <laughs> tough. It's, not it's, tough. Strange. it's tough stuff for sure for, for Royale, but fortunately he is short lived, uh, soon done away with by yeah. the cunning guess, Leo. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, I guess like this era kind of like the like two, like mid to late two thousands, early 2010s era is just kind of like, racially conscious but not racially aware was sort of the way i was thinking about it yeah where it's like oh like yes a black person's experience like it's like you're not trying to do the like we're all the same i don't see color Mm -hmm. like you're aware of the idea that like a person of color's experience might be different from a white experience but then also like you don't know how to write it (laughs) 
Yeah, and and like kind of that element of like I'm gonna I'm gonna like really you know show show the world as it is, and like the you know the white kid is gonna have his brains like blown when he encounters my like realistic urban black man. Right. I do think that because this book is like so tropey and playing around in genres that like really do come out of the pulp tradition that it always flirts with like an aspect of like enjoying pop culture that is like pulpy that I have always kind of found like a little difficult to navigate, which is that like, there's like some element of it, which is like some of these like tropes and like depictions and what have you are bad, but because they are like the tropes of the genre and, or I'm like showing it as it really is or what have you, I'm still going to like use them and include them because they are like, you know, it doesn't feel like pulp if you don't have, yeah, the femme fatale or, you know, what have you. And like, I don't think that this book has it too much, but there are just like a few times where it's like, yeah, it's, it's like, I get that in your like problematic faves, this is like really a thing, but how do we like, you know, channel, channel that and like capture the spirit without just like, I don't know, like having racist characters be super racist, like all the time or, you know, like it's, it's just like an interesting kind of like thing to thing to walk that I just like have not yet really seen someone do well yeah i mean like there's like there's always like the thing of the white writer who like is always very like seems very like gleeful to include the n-word in like the mouth of a racist character Mm -hmm. yeah like like the part in lawless where it shows him like listening to the conversation of the three soldiers that he eventually kills where i'm like I get it. They're contemptible. And like, obviously the whole like point of doing this is to make it so that when Tracy kills them, you're like, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's his whole, his whole thing of like, I could never have done it, but I'm glad that there's a Tracy lawless in the world so that someone (laughs) can do it. Um, You know, that, that whole kind of like vibe and yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just like, it's one of those things where it's like, it's a crime book. You, you have to show like bad people doing bad things. That's kind of like the whole appeal. And yet like, yeah, I don't know. I like Delron is kind of, it falls into that same thing for me where it's like, you have to like hate this guy. He has to be so evil. You like have to imply that he's a child predator. And I'm like, do we though? (laughs) Right. Yeah, I know what you mean. And like, yeah, I guess it is. And it's also just like, I guess, in a book that kind of shies away from tropes or like is interested in moving beyond tropes. I mean, especially in later story arcs, like having someone like Jake be a main character mm-hmm. is very far afield from yeah. like what you would expect or, or in a like, crime book. I guess what it is for me is that most of the time it does feel very grounded and very like i guess not like the world as it is like i think in a lot of ways this book is like almost a fantasy 
as as most crime books are to some greater or lesser extent but it does have like a certain more like kind of grounded feel so when you have a character who seems so kind of like comically evil or absurd like a delron or like a royalty it's like immersion breaking as well yeah because i guess like the whole idea even like for the main characters for the villains for whoever is just that like you know everyone wants something mm-hmm. and a lot of the conflict is sort of built around like conflicting motivations and so when someone like doesn't really have a clear motivation beyond like i want to inflict pain or like i, I want to like inflict something on someone and i don't care who and like if, if i wasn't involved in like this storyline i would be out somewhere else like mm-hmm. cutting someone's Doing fingers off or whatever thing to somebody else yeah Right. Then then like it's like, well, this is less interesting than someone who like has a reason to be doing this. And then like, you know, that's this it's the same thing for like how the narrative tension gets resolved is like a lot of times it'll be like, I'm putting you in this compromising position so that like you have to cede something that I want in order to like maintain or to get what you want. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's uh that's coward. <laughs> <laughs> So then we get Lawless, which again, pretty straightforward, I think, compared to some of the other ones. So this is like a good example of a like the world of criminal type thing in Coward. Leo in a scene that also kind of serves as like some exposition about like kind of all the family history stuff meets with like an old friend from the old gang who is now an internal affairs cop and she Jane mentions she she said she asks him if he went to Ricky's funeral and we don't know who Ricky is. We've never met him, blah, blah, blah. Lawless then is about Ricky's brother coming back to town because his brother has died and he is out for revenge. And it is. Yeah, it is a pretty straightforward revenge story within a heist story. He ingratiates himself to. Uh, his brother's old crew to help them with a job robbing a like bank deposit basically at the end of the day but also is poking around trying to find out who killed him he learns that his on again off again girlfriend slash uh, fellow member of the crew Mallory killed him because he was like abusive and unhinged basically and he kills the rest of the crew in vengeance, but is moved by what she tells him in the end and uh, and lets her live. And then there's the additional wrinkle that his like getting back on his feet crime that he does to get his startup funds. He like unwittingly robs a, um, a counterfeiter. <laughs> um, so he's got like other guys completely unrelated following him, like his trail, trying to find him to get back their counterfeit money. And when they finally do catch up with him, they take him before Sebastian Hyde, who, again, has come up kind of in the background as like the kingpin of Center City. And he is basically like, uh, I want to hire you to slash pay off your brother's debts because, you know, basically like by knocking over my like counterfeiting thing and all this other nonsense that you've gotten involved in it shows me that you're the kind of guy I want on my payroll. Right. Yeah, I mean, it is, like we've said already, it is, like, it's so Parker. And I think a big part of that is that it starts with him, like, coming back into the town. 
which is so similar to the way the first Parker book starts, like that whole sequence of mm-hmm. him, like he has to find the identity. He has to get his money. He has to like, sort of like get his feet on the ground yeah. and then he finds like this score and you sort of go from there. Yeah. And, and even like the, it's different obviously because Parker's whole thing is like the plastic surgery, but like with the burn scar and stuff and like nobody recognizes him. Right. That's even nobody like kind of part him. of it. And also it's like, Oh, in the course of like getting yourself situated, you like run afoul of the like organized crime syndicate mm-hmm. and then you have to like do work with them. So like it is like weirdly very Parker like through and through. And I guess not so weirdly because he it is like pretty self-admitted that, you know, he mentions Parker multiple times. He mentions Donald West like multiple times. Mm-hmm. So he's certainly a, he's he an is familiar for sure. And yeah. this is again like the first of the like cook Parker adaptations will come out shortly after this, like kind of starts up. And I think that the two of them probably have like already been talking about it to a certain extent. Uh, and like kind of like, I think, I think Brubaker had cook and read. Brubaker? Yeah. And, and like, I think that Brubaker right, had, they, they, they were like, Catwoman. yeah, well they, they worked on Catwoman together and then just like were friends and like would, would right. talk sometimes and like when Brubaker and Phillips did sleeper together, like, you know, cook was like good stuff. And like, so they would talk about like crime comics. They, he, he has talked about how cook basically encouraged him to like drop the superhero stuff and just do a straightforward crime book. And also about like basically being jealous that <laughs> cook was getting to do like actual Parker adaptations. So I wouldn't be surprised if there is an element in here of him being like, dang, like Darwin is like getting to do Parker. That's so cool. Like I would love to have a character like that in some of this like criminal stuff that I'm doing. I wonder, Hmm, maybe like this, <laughs> this guy, I mentioned like this guy's army cousin, but maybe now instead it can be a brother or something. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Right. And yeah, it's cool. I mean, we love Parker already, so there was little chance of this going awry. There's one other... uh, I meant to ask you about this. There's one thing that sort of comes up that I I couldn't parse or couldn't remember exactly what the connection was, but there's some part where it's like they steal... Someone steals money that is supposed to be paid towards like paying off customs officials, and that like causes something else oh, to happen. Oh, that's um, that's in uh, Bad Night. Oh, okay. I just that was like one of the one things I was thinking of. Where it's like I was like, I know that's something, but I can't even like remember what that is. That it's like this is all connected to each other. Yeah. So in Bad Night, the whole like kind of scheme that he gets sucked into, um and like caught up in is a he is impersonating an fbi agent to take a payoff from the triad yes in order to like let some stuff through but then like because he takes the payment the cops come yeah and i don't necessarily know that we see like the full like maybe fall I just conflated it because there's like a lot of stuff around the docks. Well, and there's a, like the triad comes in more kind of like front and center than subsequently in the sinners. And right. there's a lot of talk about like these different deals that the triad has been working on. And I think that uh, like, I didn't really have that in mind reading, but I'm sure if you go back, you could probably connect some dots as far as kind of like 
they're working on this deal because they have like this issue with, with like the customs officials at the docks or the thing that they were working on was like the shipment that now has subsequently been apprehended or or what have you right anyways sorry i just i was that was it's one of those things that stuck in my craw mm-hmm. at any rate so yeah you have lawless you have father frank or whatever his name is <laughs> frank kafka pi oh oh you mean um the right father frank yes the <laughs> yeah, priest different frank. well yeah that's that's i guess it's like not strictly related to the sinners other than that he comes back again but that would have been a nice little uh little wrinkle if he got killed because of losing the uh you know but but i guess he gets that busted so he doesn't lose it tracy like calls the cops to um to come and break up that job the money back yeah right um at any rate or most of it at least yeah but yeah and then like you have the connection there as well which is another fun little wrinkle to that uh anyways is there anything else about lawless like this uh, like i said i feel like that that's like the most straightforward one Mm -hmm. so it is mostly just this is good yeah yeah it is it is good cannot deny it (laughs) and then and then there's another break there is yeah so the first break rather yes is at the end of lawless is what you're saying yes yes Yes, there is then a break, which I'm not sure. I wonder if they talk about it in the uh, the letters here. It is. <laughs> do you see that he refers here to uh, the first chapter of the Tracy Lawless saga? Uh, wow. Which I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure to what extent uh, he knew. Not not knew, but was. like. I'm not sure to what extent he has completed that original plan for some kind of Tracy Lawless saga in the like intervening years. Cause I know the next couple things we're going to be looking at don't really have much to do with Tracy. And then I do feel like again, the reckless like line of books kind of springs out of that whole desire to have that kind of character. And I, I do I'll be interested to see if it feels like he resolves a Tracy Lawless saga or if perhaps some of those plans and material were repurposed into Reckless is my my kind of right. early theory here. And it that's interesting also because, you know, when it comes back, then we lose like, you know, we do we go away from Tracy Lawless for quite a while. Yes. And it becomes sort of more, I feel like, what maybe the book was originally meant to be like this sort of like seven issue volume two is maybe like more what the book was meant to be like, because it also leans very heavily on the interconnectivity of different characters. What? Oh, I'll, I'll tell you, finish your thought. Just because it leans heavily on like the idea that it's like, you know, sort of what we've talked about, that there are different characters that they're sort of leading different lives, but then they're all sort of drawn. Like they are all, connected through this web so like we get the origin story of gnarly who is also like he was a boxer and he was also friends with sebastian hyde and then he was also friends with this uh what's her face danica yeah danica briggs yep like he was friends with her as well mm-hmm. and then she has her own like story that sort of yeah spirals out it's, from there it's like a kind of like three-pronged like 
it sort of tells the same story three times, but you like pick it up at different places and end it at different places and it follows these different characters. So you see how each of their kind of like stories resolve. Yeah. Um, The thing I was laughing at was the reason I've discovered that they took a break so that Sean can finish working on Marvel Zombies 2. Swag. That should have been an epic comic. (laughs) Yeah. So he needed to go off uh, there. And then I got distracted by him, Brubaker, plugging a Canadian TV show that's really hard to get a hold of called Intelligence. Never heard of it. No, I've never heard of this. Um, But cheers to you. Old yeah. Eddie Pooh. Yeah. Marvel yeah. Zombies really uh We can't discuss Marvel Zombies, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> <laughs> it really was huge for a minute. It was it I mean zombies were huge for a minute, you know? Sure, of course. Yeah, and it, it also is like <sighs> now you're gonna have me talking about Marvel Zombies, which I explicitly said we could not do. <laughs> um it like really both rides the wave of like Walking Dead is becoming really popular and the origins of it insanely are in like the ultimate line um, because that's like where we see a portal to like an alternate universe where the Fantastic Four have been turned into zombies is like opened and then they like get access to the like portal opening technology. So it's like now they can travel to freaking any whatever universe and spread their zombie plague slash like we can see the history of that world that they came from where all of the marvel heroes turn into zombies it's wild stuff anyways oh it you think it's wild stuff that reed richards performs a mind swap with dr doom and becomes the host of a demon from the negative zone no, that's to normal zombies? that's normal yeah that's normal it's and we like it the marvel zombies eating galactus that you don't like <laughs> Yeah, that's that's when they went too far. I do also like just have to observe that in what feels like an insane step back, Robert Kirkman wrote the first two Marvel Zombies things after The Walking Dead had already started. So like on one hand, secure the bag. On the other hand, have a little self-respect. For sure. Yeah, so... I believe these stories are collected as the dead and the dying or maybe the dying and the dead, but I feel like that's something else. I'm looking it up as we speak. The dying of the dead is of course a Jonathan Hickman book. Great. Uh, the dead and the dying. Yes. There's the first three issues, um, which are, you know, not on the page or not explicitly connected, but are connected in terms of like sort of narrative tissue like I said, it goes, we go into the past, uh, we see, again, we see Sebastian Hyde, we see, like, his origin story with his father, Walter Hyde, and so Walter Hyde and Gnarly, the owner of, like, the, we haven't even talked about Undertow. No. Uh, which is, like, the, what's the, I feel like a lot of things have this like the neutral yeah it's it is a definitely a big thing in marvel i can't remember what the name of that bar I guess is john wick yeah the continental yeah it's kind of the same idea yeah um which i feel like is just like sort of becomes a necessary plot thing where yeah. it's like 
we need these two characters to sit down and have a conversation without killing each other. Yeah, but then it does also always become like it's a neutral ground, except the proprietor like eventually ultimately will take the side of like <laughs> the main character. Right. And so sure. it's like not that neutral. Sure, I guess so. Um but he will say, damn, I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> That's true. Who can deny? In almost 100% of the cases. Um, so basically the story here is you have uh, Jacob Brown, a.k.a. Gnarly, who we've previously known as the proprietor of the Undertow Bar, the criminal bar where everyone goes to hang out and it's neutral and no one shoots each other. Or else they get in big trouble. Or else they get in big trouble. Gnarly. Uh, and then we see his past in the seventies where he was a boxer, but also he is friends with Sebastian Hyde because their fathers were friends and sort of like started the criminal game in this town. Um, and then they are also connected to this woman, Danica Briggs, who they are like old friends with and gnarly and Danica were like an item, but then Sebastian like wanted her more and so gnarly I think they were like, like a, they were like a will they won't they and then gnarly sure. was like we won't because you should instead date my friend sebastian yes yes with the implication being like not that sebastian like leaned on him but that he was sort of like graciously stepping out of the way yes only for the walter hyde to be like my son can't date a black woman it's the 70s or the 60s i guess at this point they like drug her and give her an unwanted abortion because she's pregnant with Sebastian Hyde's child. And then that becomes obviously that was a, that was a pretty uh, pivotal moment in her life. It seems <laughs> based on what we learn of her. Yes, certainly. And then she later comes back to like perpetrate this robbery against Sebastian Hyde. Like she yes. comes back into his life, but it's, shown to be like i'm only doing this for revenge yes so she like we get the we get the gnarly story then we get the teague lawless story where he's back from vietnam and has severe ptsd and they do a really cool thing where he blacks out where they have multiple black panels and then you'll like come back in for a second that's good stuff anyways he is seduced by her and she kind of convinces him to pull off the robbery that is going to be her her big revenge move. The panel where they're like standing over the guy they just shot in the head, and T. Glawless is like, "Do these guys look Mexican to you?" It's like really <laughs> funny to me. They're told that it's like a Mexican cartel that is moving the money, but it is of course, in fact, the Hides. And he is ultimately hired by the Hides because he like goes on a rampage to get all of the money back, including killing his uh, his friend and partner. Uh, in order to like retrieve his share and returns it, and then the hides are like, "You do good work." It's same same thing as with um, Tracy, basically. It, the yes, hides and are like, he also good. kills, and he kills Danica Briggs as well yes. as part of this whole rampage yeah. to sort of make good on everything. Yes, and then with the third issue, we get the full sort of Danica Briggs backstory of it all. Yes, which is that which is you go ahead. Well, I was going to say she invents being a sugar baby, maybe. Sure. <laughs> I don't know how long being a sugar baby has been a thing. I've been told it's the oldest profession. And no, that's a different <laughs> thing. Um, the name of this story is the female of the species, which is interesting. 
the female of the species is deadlier than the male is like a thing comics writers mm-hmm. love to reference. I can't remember what it's from. I'm Googling mm-hmm. it. It's a Rudyard Kipling poem, of course. Great. A guy that we love right. to quote. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, it is another one of those, like, I mean, we basically talked about this already, but the whole what's between my legs is more powerful than any gun could ever be. Mm-hmm. Just like, sure. That's- yeah. And which is like tough because I feel like without that, this issue would be like really strong. Yeah, I do. I actually do like I it is a very tragic story, like the way that she sort of like she gets together with Sebastian Hyde. Obviously, she like has all these horrible things inflicted upon her and sort of like not descends into a life of drugs exactly, but kind of like. She is kind of like pushed down the road in that way, mm-hmm. um, and obviously we've—I think we've seen a lot of stories in that vein over the years. But I feel like this is like one of the better told ones for sure. Yeah, it's just um, like hard to convince someone of that when there's like a narration box that says my pussy was a deadly weapon. <laughs> right. It's like this is actually and there's a very like a little tragic story about how like women bear the brunt of <laughs> you know these these machinations of these men right um and you know i think like it it doesn't feel too like misery porny like there is sort of like a tragic arc to it that's pretty compelling and like Mm -hmm. i think you really do like feel for her in a very real way yeah and i i think that like the revelation that it was in fact like sebastian hyde who did sort of like orchestrate the whole thing oh no that comes in the prior issue right I, which is i guess like kind of the the tragedy of it because we just see her this issue ends with her coming back to town and being like you know right i'm back she takes out that full page newspaper ad and gets <laughs> gets to work the press release yeah she changes her number to 45 yeah etc etc so yeah this is this is like a pretty I feel like this is a bold approach to telling this story to do the kind of like three issues, three different perspectives, like the timeline. Timeline. Yeah. Like kind of, kind of jumping around a little bit. And also like, because of that sort of heralds the, I, I feel like this second volume is more experimental than either the first volume or the sinners. Sure. Sure. For sure. And like, you know, sort of leans on more like, not magical realism exactly, but more like artistic what have you yeah. than sort of just telling like a purely grounded story. Right. Um but yeah, like this is a, the I really like this storyline. Like I don't I wouldn't say it's my favorite, mostly just because like it's so sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's just like everyone sort of like getting screwed over in their own unique way and also like sort of causing their own downfall indirectly because everyone's sort of like wheel is linked to each other right in a weird way um, which i think is like a really compelling sort of way to tell this narrative but then also it's it is just like kind of a bummer to read (laughs) like there's no there's no one to root for like i guess you root for gnarly but then it's like he was is kind of like a bad guy in this scenario and then there's not like a lawless or even a leo to really like 
root for in this one in this set of issues mm-hmm. yep agreed so then we get bad night uh, the Which demented crazy. work of a madman <laughs> You think a you think a horny freak created this? <laughs> <laughs> this is also actually kind of funny because I think we're gonna talk about this story again when we do kill or be killed. Is what I'll say about that and and leave it there until we mm. get to kill or be killed. So kill or be pilled. So Frank Kafka PI. The role of Frank Kafka P.I. in Coward feels opaque to me. Other than like every time he like looks at Frank Kafka P.I. Is it like Leo's feeling over his head and Frank is always over his head? <laughs> okay, so we agreed. Like I was like, there's something I'm not getting here. And like it must be like very like metaphorical because his name is Frank Kafka. <laughs> Yeah, the strip is very Kafka-esque for sure. <laughs> but is it? I, I don't. I've never read. That's Kafka. like the like saying Kafka-esque is uh, a right. thing. Yes, yes, I, yes, certainly. What but then that it's from? like the strip never really seems to be more than like a two-fisted Dick Tracy kind of, you know, like a a noir comic strip that I feel like he just feels like is fun to include here, and it's almost like you know not to. We, we love to psychoanalyze our people here, but it is almost like this is like his, like, what if I was like <laughs> involved in this? Like, how would I respond? Like, what would my role in all this be? And it's just like, I would be like a pathetic little worm, I guess, who like listens, who's just like, what should I do, Dick Tracy? And he's, he's like, you should be tougher. And he's like, I can't. Just flipping through I need to have sex to so badly. Introduction here. Oh, no, it's Last of the Innocent that he talks about as having a lot of uh, autobiographical elements to it, or some autobiographical elements. Sure. But uh, but yeah, re- with with um, this like deluxe edition that I have, he says of Bad Night uh, that it was the most challenging thing I'd ever written and the most personal. Oh, no, I okay, yeah. It sprang from some of my own worst fears and nightmares, and structurally, I was trying things I'd never done before. And then he says, in fact, I was so wiped out after finishing it that I needed a break. So we created Incognito instead. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, uh, yeah, crazy and funny. But so, yeah, there is, you know, <sighs> the main character is a comics creator. So right. there's like our favorite thing to. Yeah. I mean, this is at least a little bit more like, at least he's not like a comic book artist, you know? Yeah, there, it's 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 pretty it's pretty separated. It's it's not the same as things we've talked about before, mm-hmm. where it's like everyone in comics reads was... comics. Yeah, but so basically, so it's the character of Jacob. Uh, what's his last name? Uh, Kurtz. Right. Which that's also a Jack Kirby reference, I assume. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, Jack Kirby's real name is Jacob Kurtzberg. Oh, well, cheers. I want to make sure that that's actually right. Yes, it is. Great. Um, so it's this character who we've previously seen. Um, as we said, we see him in the Lawless arc. He helps Tracy Lawless like get the, his new identity. 
Um, and so he is like a counterfeiter who has since become a cartoonist. And what we don't find out until later is that the reason that he is a cartoonist is because he was falsely accused of killing his wife and then was like so harangued by both the police and the like organized criminal element. And Sebastian Hyde caused him to like, or like, ordered ordered yeah so sebastian Why does this happen? sebastian hyde was his wife's uncle and so when oh. he was when he was believed to have been involved in her death he sent enforcers to like beat him up and basically like the like they thought he was going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life and so to like make good on that when right. when like the body is like her body is finally found and he's cleared he basically is like, okay, my bad. You can do like, anything you want. You're, yeah, you're a made man. Tell me what you want to do, and like, I will make it happen. And he's like, I want to do Frank <laughs> Kafka PI. <laughs> Which is funny. And also, like, I think another thing that they kind of throw in is like <laughs> the sort of like banally evil element of it is like Frank Kafka PI can never be canceled. And so, like, yeah. And so it's, like, irrelevant how good or bad it is. And so, like, he, there's, like, no artistic validation behind it <laughs> because he knows that, like, the only reason it exists is because it's, like, whatever, the newspaper editor would, like, get a bullet in the head yeah. if he wasn't running it. It's, it's funny because I'm, like, I don't necessarily get the sense that it's bad. Like, it seems like there are, like, when we're first introduced tell. to it, Leo is, like, this is garbage. But then he like when he is in in bad night, he meets people who are like, I love Frank Kafka P.I. <laughs> um, and people who are like, I chop up bodies for I guess maybe that is sort of the irony of it that like the people who really do the bad stuff are the people who are like Frank Kafka. Right. He's a fun guy. I, and I do think that there's probably like a bit of it, too, where it's like, yeah, for a normal person they read it and they're like, this is completely opaque. But then for people who ha- like are part of that CD underbelly, there's something that is like darkly funny about it or, or like it like speaks to them in some way that like, you know, John Q public can never understand. Right. Um, and then what we also see revealed is that Frank Kafka Private Eye is also like a split personality. And you know, initially he just appears as like a voice in his head. Mm-hmm. Like he pops up and we'll talk to him. He like imagines later- him. Yeah. He's like, I know what Frank would say. Right. But what we later find out is not only is he like a voice in his head, but he is all like a full split personality mm-hmm. who like will do like the dirty work that Jacob Kurtz is is incapable of. Um, Um, So all of this is just like the dressing on the story. (laughs) Almost none of that is directly plot relevant. Yeah. Uh, Which is that like he is an insomniac and he goes to this diner, which is also we find out like a chop shop for dead bodies. Mm -hmm. And he meets... But that, but it was on purpose. Oh, I forgot about that. That's crazy. <laughs> this is insane. Yes, it is. And he meets these people and gets involved in this plot that we previously talked about where someone is going to impersonate an FBI agent and pick up this payment. Um, and then also he like starts sleeping with 
the girlfriend of the guy who has this plan, who sort of like gets him roped into all of mm-hmm. this. He has this unexplained super horniness for her. <laughs> that part is crazy. That part, there's a lot of elements of this that are crazy. <laughs> this is the one that goes like full noir, full like pulp, where it's like. But also like psychological, it's like Sugar yeah. Island or <laughs> Or like, um, you know what this like really kind of reminds me of in some ways is City of Glass, which is like uh, a book that David Mazzucchelli and another guy whose name is escaping me right now, like adapted. And that's about like a writer who writes these PI novels, but he has the same name as a real PI and mistakenly gets hired by a woman to be a PI and he starts like investigating the case. <sighs> yeah. And, and like, it's just very confusing at all times about like what is really going on and like who's doing what anyways. Yeah. There is a real psychological thriller element to it for sure. So, right. And then the, the Shutter Island esque twist as a previously alluded to is that this has all been an elaborate plot by the detective who like has been who investigated the case of his wife's death and like basically became so like pathologically convinced that Jacob was guilty that he like needed to make him guilty even if he wasn't guilty and you know we sort of get the sense that it's like he wasn't really guilty but there well, is an element of like I caused this like I'm partially responsible for this so I, He's not as innocent as he appears initially. No, but I thought that they were telegraphing a full-on, like, like pretty much as soon as it came on, I was like, oh, yeah, but he actually did kill her. Like, that's, that's like, part of this somehow. Which they right, like, but do it's not, kind of subvert, where it's like, he didn't kill her, but she was running away from a local bully. Yeah. Frank Kafka P.I., like committed a hit and run and she was so like freaked out about that that she was like fleeing him when the accident happened right um so he isn't directly responsible but he you know there's more than he's letting on Mm -hmm. um and so this detective star he hires (laughs) someone who reminds me a lot of pearl from the movie pearl sure um you're probably not familiar but she is like a nurse who became who was also a stripper yes and she would like dance for the inmates in the mental asylum well where jacob kurtz was like during his like psychotic break so he was his wife's death uh, yeah like he was uh, i think it's uh, do they say that it's a like a psychiatric hospital because i thought that he was it was more like a long-term care type situation because again like they were expecting that he was going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life and they like drug him to keep him catatonic they do say the mental ward there you have it so yeah the she the reason that he's like inexplainably horny for her is that while he was like drugged and like (laughs) not fully like conscious she would practice her dance that she would do like when stripping and like derived like, some pleasure from her, her. Yeah, her quote unquote or his quote unquote involuntary responses. 
And so when he sees her, he's like, hmm, my subconscious is so horny for her. I wonder why that is. Right. Which um, wild. Yes. I will say, like, for how crazy the for Frank Kafka PI reveal is, it's very, like, artfully done. <laughs> I was the like, ending is crazy. <gasps> <laughs> like when when i'm trying to find where it is when it is like fully fully revealed well there's the well there's the moment where he comes back to his house and and the cops are there and he's like why are the cops here and then oh, the guy oh is that's like, right yeah because previously at the very beginning of the arc it's like someone burned down this house right which that was, was like, like a crack house. making it hard for him to sleep right and then, he, and then it's like someone saw you do it, and then, and then, Frank, cut to Frank Kafka being like, "You're the one who wanted them out of here, right?" Um, and so the big reveal, like, yeah. So it's, it's like this is where I was expecting the the like turn of like he actually did kill the wife because right. he doesn't like his his reaction when his neighbor says like the police have been looking for you because they think you burned down that house is like he he is like oh no like i did do that and now it's like coming to light sort of a reverse or yeah but then <laughs> i did do that yeah um and then <laughs> that's his version of if i did it. right and then frank kafka like <laughs> implies that he had a role and then frank kafka says you don't want the police looking at the trunk of that rental car right and then it's like panel of him driving away panel of him opening the trunk and iris is now in the trunk and frank kafka is like you don't remember doing this <laughs> like putting putting her in the trunk <laughs> like when he opens the trunk right. and she's inside and i'm like because frank kafka put her there i was like <laughs> oh <laughs> and then he drives off the side of the road where his wife died mm-hmm. um and is like in traction the next time we see him. And then there's this like very dark ending. Oh like, yeah. Crazy ending where it's like, we've hired a new young artist to take over Frank Kafka private eye because it's like in a twilight zone esque twist. Uh-huh. It's finally a hit strip. Yes. Because he like <laughs> is, I guess going to jail or like something's happening for <laughs> to him. And then it's like Frank Kafka walks off with the new guy and he's like left to his own thoughts, mm-hmm. like completely immobilized in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very dark indeed. Crazy. <laughs> crazy plot line. <laughs> it's crazy. I don't even think I realized how crazy it was as it was happening, but it's crazy. Well, I mostly was um, like, so I had read that introduction where he talks about like structurally, I was doing something like totally new. And as I was reading right. it, I was like, this seems like pretty mundane. Normal. And then what I thought he was kind of getting at was, so we like, we get the break where, is it at the start of this issue? I guess it is. Yeah. So at the end of number six, he discovers that like star and um what's her face iris Iris, yeah know each other and he's like oh right she was my nurse and then we get like the start of the next issue is like 
how Detective Star like decided to, you know, ruin this guy's life. Do this whole thing. And that's like the Parker model where it's like you have the the first two books are like Parker plans the heist, blah, blah, blah. Something goes wrong. Like part two ends on a cliffhanger. Part three is like almost like it, it changes book to book, but the kind of like most common one is like we redo the whole kind of like timeline of, of events, but from like the antagonist's point of view up to like when the cliffhanger happened, we see like the resolution of the cliffhanger kind of like from their perspective. And then it ends with like Parker, like suddenly Parker. reappears basically. And is like, now you're right. now you're done. So, and so like to have it, like so i kind of was like oh i guess that's what he means like he's playing with like the stark formula basically and so that was what i had kind of like which i do think is also part of it but i had sort of been like yeah. that's what it is so then the reveal that <laughs> that frank kafka is like a tyler durden-esque figure in the story i was like whoa what's what's going on <laughs> Just saying Frank Kafka is really funny. Frank Kafka um, as a concept is extremely funny, yes. Yeah, and then you have The Sinners, which is a, a much more straightforward uh, Tracy Lawless story. We return to Tracy Lawless. We've talked a little bit about this, but he's working for Sebastian Hyde. He's sleeping with Sebastian Hyde's wife. Uh, they're investigating this like string of killings where... Like a lot of prominent sort of criminal element people across various different factions are just like getting tapped. It turns out, I don't even really know why this is happening, I must say. Um, but it turns out that it's like being perpetrated by these kids at the direction of a priest who is like Father Frank's replacement after Father Frank gets killed. No, because he doesn't he orchestrate he chooses, Father Frank's. Yes. Yeah. So I, it's does, it's just yes. like he's back home. So he's a veteran as well. And it's just like he's back and he has like been placed in Father Frank's parish. Right. And that's like the police. And he's aren't, like, this he is totally the beeped. police aren't. Yeah, the yeah. police aren't doing anything. I have to like take matters into my own yeah. hands. I will use these children because like no one notices the kids, yeah. so they're better at like committing these murders. And also, I then, as their priest, can forgive them. Yes. So it's like the idea of it is like no one's planning it per se. Like he's he's planning it, but not as part of like a criminal enterprise. He's just like kind of gone. He's going like full on vigilante, and right. he's using. Like, basically what Tracy suggests is that he's using, like, techniques that, like, extremist uh, imams use in Iraq that he would have, like, observed where he, he's like, oh, yeah, like, the, like, the, they always get like us with child the kids. Suicide because, bomber yeah, because, kind like, of. you know, the soldiers never expect it to be the kid. And, like, how much better will that work here on cops where, like, the whole idea of using a kid is, like, completely you know unthinkable and there's there's some sort of like two sides of the same coin type stuff because as we see tracy like kind of going about his business of like investigating the killings he several times kind of like expresses disgust at like the state of the city or like there's that part where he like basically like <laughs> tells the sex worker to like get out of this line of work that kind of thing <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, so I, I really like the like mystery of this such as it is like I don't it's like 
you find out that it's the kids, I think, like, pretty quickly. fairly quickly, but don't get the full, like, kind of hows and whys of it um, yeah. until until a fair bit further down the line. I kind of thought that the way this was going was, like, victims of, like, a child porn or, like, kind of sex trafficking ring that sure. Father Frank was, like... Because I was like, what's the connection between all these people? Seems like potentially a connection to the Catholic Church. Right. Um, and and then, like, these kids are basically being, like, enabled by Father Mike is his name. I don't remember the other priest's name. Anyways, being, being like, enabled by this other priest to basically, like, take revenge on their abusers. Um, which... I like, yeah, you know, that, that would have been a little bit more kind of like whatever to me. I do more so appreciate kind of like how this unfolds where it's like, it's, it's more so about like this preacher, this priest who is like also a soldier and adopting these kind of like military tactics and using these kids who have been like the the secondhand victims of what he sees as like the whole problem of this city to also be the ones to like rectify it right and it ends with him sort of playing all the sides against each Mm -hmm. other another thing we didn't mention but we'd mentioned earlier is that there is this like military guy cid um not an mp but an mp Mm -hmm who is like here to hunt down Tracy Lawless and like take him back in to the army. Um, And so it ends with him like playing all the sides against each other. He is like, he tells the shooter, the killer guys, and he befriends one of them who then gets killed. And so he tells the killers to be like, this is where you can get Sebastian Hyde and I'll help you kill him basically. While also using the oceans 11 tactic of, I couldn't have done this. I was getting beaten up at the time. (laughs) Uh, I um, that was... and then sorry and then on. at the end tells sebastian hyde the lieutenant hey i can tell you where to find <laughs> the killers right and that's like how it ends which is a crazy ending also like very dark good ending too um, though but yes it is it is like the last thing we see the last page is like the priest giving the two killers like communion and then the last panel is Sebastian Hyde's like right hand man entering the church with a gun and like evil grin on his face. Right. And Tracy is ostensibly being taken like he the the CID guy gets him and takes him in and is ostensibly taking him back to the war. Yes. Which is what I was saying when I said I imagine we will. Figure something will, <laughs> some effects will occur here, and obviously Sebastian Hyde dying. Yeah, will you know, some. power vacuum and and what yeah. have you. Yes, that's certainly yeah. certainly true. So, great comics, good stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely, the Sean Phillips of Here. it all. Yes, the other thing I meant to. Uh, so, a frequent collaborator of Brubaker's prior to this point. I would say this is kind of their second big thing, um, but they had previously done uh, a story called Batman Noir together. If you can hazard a guess of what that might have been about. And even prior to that, he was the inker on Scene of the Crime, which was Drew Baker and Michael Lark inked by Sean Phillips mm. and done sure. in like early 2000s before 
you know, before before any of those guys had really become prominent in any respect. So kind of like a wild early team up. Um, but right, they but also sleeper. Yeah, sleeper is their big thing. Um, so he had been the artist on Wildcats, which sleeper is kind of like a spinoff focusing on a like minor character from Wildcats. It's like so Wildcats is an X Men pastiche. I want to say all a lot of a lot of those like early Wildstorm slash image books are pastiches of x-men properties in some capacity because all of the guys who were coming to work on them were mostly like x-men artists so they were just like using their story ideas that they had for x-men and being like but with these new characters anyways there's a guy on wildcats named grifter and then sleeper is about grifter's brother and is like a like super crime super spy type book that double agent yeah and and kind of catapults them both to kind of the next level for for their careers that's like after the that point is when uh brew baker i think starts catwoman i want to say or else maybe captain america even um yeah because sleeper is like 2004 yeah so it would be it would be from there he goes to uh to marvel to start doing that stuff so they had partnered previously to great success, as Borat would say, but Criminal, I think, is the one that really kind of solidifies them as like a superstar partnership. Um, and he's killing it. <laughs> he's putting putting in work on this uh, this puppy. Yeah. The main thing I noticed, I feel like, from him here, I, I mean, I think that he is a great like actor as we have kind of previously talked about like he he knows how to put the the right look on the people's faces which is pretty important considering the sort of like emotional stakes that is often like being communicated non-verbally right with the exception of one scene in particular with sebastian hyde's daughter where she does like two crazy faces um <laughs> there's always I will send a, you screenshots of there's but always yes. a crazy face to be had for sure I agree the art is great and especially like the inking does get a little more like like you know we've talked more uh, before about the gradient inking eventually giving way to more the coloring modern you inking you're, you're and I, talking about or no yes yes coloring yeah um and that's like I think where it really starts to shine because like the you know, there's so much shadow work mm-hmm. at play and stuff. Like, I feel like you never like see Tracy Lawless's face like eighty percent of the time. Yes. I will also say I'm not sure if the colors have possibly been touched up, but I don't think so. But when I was like, I I looked at a couple of the issues um, digitally while I was reading from school and did not have my like books handy. And when I switched over to the print versions, I was like, whoa, these look like incredible. Like from a from a color perspective, I was I usually feel like the colors look a lot better digitally and I appreciate the art more easily digitally a lot of times, especially comics from this era where the coloring can be a little distracting sometimes. But when I saw it on the page, I was like, these look great. Yeah, I mean, it's really good. And then, of course, uh, I mean, like from this point on, like we almost could have argued we should have just done. Uh, you might recall that I Sean Phillips pitched this oh, as, a, as a possibility and and we ultimately decided not. But yeah, I, they, they are a very unique tandem where 
their names are not like 100% synonymous, but they are. But their partnership is yeah. like its own entity beyond just exactly. Ed Brubaker's yeah. work. In a way that like, I have a hard time thinking of a comparable creative partnership that like really persists in that way for so long and with so much success, Grant a Morrison and Frank books. Whiteley would like potentially be one. Sure. But most of the other like examples that I can think of are teams who worked together on like one really long run and then might have done like a few smaller projects together, but not people who work together so consistently on so many different projects to like such great successes again my friend borat would say um the other you thing you're friends with them am i sure that i'm friends with him uh, he, i have start you're friends with him i mean he might not you know like me his... to see me but <laughs> you're just a big fan of his yeah. whole deal yeah his his uh his politics his uh <laughs> i actually tried to vote social Borat views. 2020 but no such luck Anyways, the other big thing that I noticed with Phillips, especially compared to like Lark, um, is just like panel density. Like I feel like he has a lot more panels per page and he does a lot more like small panels, like thin panels, if that makes sense. And then that was like very much reinforced by I was looking at like some process pages that they have in the back and he showed a copy of his like script that he gets from Brubaker and how he interacts with it. And he will often take things that Brubaker has written as one panel and break them down to two or even three. So like he shows a page that he received, which is uh, like a script for a six panel page. And he like takes it himself and divides it up and is like, this is actually going to be a nine panel page. I decided with like how I want to break it down because he'll often choose to take one line of dialogue or like one something that's written as like the character says like has two word balloons, but it's one panel and he'll be like, I'm making it two because I want to show, like I want to change the facial expression between these two panels to like, you know, really, really hit the nail on the head. Um, Or even is like, I want, I want like an insert reverse shot between these two lines of dialogue, things like that, which again, like I think that's kind of one of the reasons that his acting is so good is that he is like willing to play with the pacing of the page and the visual storytelling to like maximize and be like i want as many like shots basically as possible um to be able to like give this character you and me both (laughs) to be able to give this character kind of like a full a full like emotional journey within this like line of Mm -hmm. dialogue Mm -hmm. so anyways he's 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 giving uh <laughs> he's going off we love to see it yeah he's great yep. um and then also he does i th- i assume he does the illustrations as well does, for the yeah. articles yeah he does the illustrations for the articles which are very like painterly um and and yeah, like they look really yeah. good he's he's a very very like diverse and and talented uh artist i would say who we will get to see him stretch it like some more stylistic muscles in the next kind of like chunk of issues. But yeah, his, his covers are often quite like yeah. lush and, and detailed. Um, his interior really work like the covers is, is also quite like, it's very moody. It's yeah, he's, he's really good. There's a reason that 
Brubaker keeps keeps coming back to the old Sean Phillips well. Mm-hmm. And just to mention, I didn't read these, but there are, like you said, it's more of a magazine. There are like short essays, usually about film noir, about a specific movie or about tropes or things like that, which are very cool. I wish, you know, I, I maybe I'll go back and read them because, you know, we get some interesting people he gets comics people i know Patton oswalt has uh several contributions in them um but very cool yeah, they cool are idea i like you know that sort of idea of it to have it be more than just a comic book yeah this is like a thing that he continues as well at least in fatal um he he like subcontracts these out and gets uh, a friend who is like an right. academic in the field to kind of take the back matter essays but it is something that i think he got a lot of positive feedback about and was like cool um like i people like it so i'm going to keep it going but yeah i do recommend reading them especially the ones that he writes himself because i think that especially considering that he's like writing the book and then writing these like meditations on like the femme fatale or neo-noir or, you know, all of these different subjects, which are like, sometimes it's about specific movies, but sometimes it's just about like certain elements or tropes or motifs of the genre. It's like interesting to read him kind of reflect on those generally and then compare it with like when they crop up in criminal itself. Right. Yep. So awards, we've covered some of these awards before, but wins the 2007 Eisner for Best New Series. And as we mentioned before, Ed Brubaker wins Best Writer in 07 and 08, and Criminal is part of that as well. I don't think we've gotten to 2010 yet, right? No, I don't think we have. We might be... He might be anyway, spoilers, there. he's going to win the Eisner <gasps> again. Uh, and that is it for now. Well, hold on. And also, you're omitting Sean Phillips won the 2006 Spike TV Scream Award Spike for TV Best Scream Awards for, for Rebel Zombies. Good. I'm glad that we were both on that one. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Are you familiar with uh, Stan Helsing at all? With Van Helsing? I don't remember... With Stan Helsing. Oh, Stan Helsing. <laughs> no. I I don't remember how this came up or why I have this tab open, but I would invite you to first see Stan Helsing and see who wrote and directed the film. Okay. Stan Helsing, of course, is a parody horror movie in the vein of a scary movie. Uh-huh. And it is, of course, written and directed by Bo Zenga. I'm not familiar personally. You've never seen Big Bang Theory? (laughs) (laughs) To be continued. (laughs) Thank you all for listening. Got the Ruds Pod on Twitter. Got the Ruds Pod at gmail.com. You can follow me at Jan on Twitter. Listen to High Floor, Low Ceiling. Listen to Bevy of Bevy's now with our irregular release schedule. Uh, change to whenever we feel like it. Uh, next week, we'll be covering Criminal, The Last of the Innocent. My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies and the 2019 third volume of Criminal. Thank you all for listening as always. Please remember, rate, review, five stars, two stars, do what thou wilt. 
but until next time to be to continued you were looking away so I yeah sure. i'm ordering <laughs> my dinner because i'm still so mad about <laughs> bozinga <laughs> Oh, that was that. (laughs) I got that and I was like, I'm easy. Is that (laughs) (laughs) I'm easy like Sunday morning? (laughs) Uh, I'm glad we recorded that. (laughs) Yeah.